Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Won't you join us as we sing Build Your Kingdom Here? Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church, and we need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and our lives for your our joy and prize to see the captive hearts released the hurt the sick the poor at peace we lay down our lives for heaven's cause we are your church kingdom here let the darkness fear show your mighty hand heal our streets and lands set your church on fire witness nation back change the atmosphere build your kingdom
Y'all may be seated. Good morning. Oh, nice to see everybody. All right. Um, probably the really big news today is there's lunch after service. Uh, so uh, actually, we're having a, an informational meeting um, after service. We're going to be discussing, a, well, discussing and providing information for a couple of things. Um, we'd like you to join us upstairs. Lunch will be served, and I was told right before service to um, pass on that there is a lot of food. And so uh, they actually are hoping to get lots of people to eat the lots of food. So um, don't worry about whether you can bring anything. That's not uh, actually even being requested. We just want people to come eat all that food. So uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the statement of faith at the national level for the Evangelical Free Church in America and um, a vote that's coming up on that. Um, so we would like to, to have you there for that. If you're unable to make that, there are some information sheets at the, at the door. Uh, grab one of those, then you'll have um, the info that the actual vote from our congregation on this will be, what, about a month? So uh, we're not voting today. This is for information. We're trying to get everybody kind of up to speed on what's going on. So uh, if you're not able to come and you take that sheet and have questions, then be sure and, and contact Shane or, or uh, one of the elders, or you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to get you the information that you're looking for. All right, so uh, tonight is youth group. It's back, 530 uh, here at the church. And... Um, Five. Okay, five o'clock. And let's see, family prayer is this week, uh, Tuesday night at 5.30 in the foyer. Um, please come for that. It's, um, it's a powerful thing when we can all get together and um, we, we praise God. We uh, lift up the, the, the needs of the church and the country and the community. And uh, it's just, it's a good time to, to pray together. So hope to see you there. Let's keep worshiping. Won't you join us as we start out with Stand in Your Love? When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in Your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame 
my past behind I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love Holy, holy, 
intense moment of prayer the other day um, as I was just uh, calling out to God about some of my um, my heart pains and some of my struggles and uh, I remember in amidst the prayer I started thanking him for uh, the pain and for the hardships that uh, one can go through you know making it very personal because God hears you personally and so I made it personal I'm like thank you Lord for the the struggles I'm going through, and then I kind of started, and, and I'm a, I, I ugly cry when I cry, so I was ugly crying, and then I started ugly crying laughing, because I was like, why in the, how did I get to the point where I'm thankful for this pain, and um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in that place of like, how, how is this even possible, but I can only give him the credit, you know, so let's lift up his name with you are God alone. God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God time began you are on your throne you are God alone and right now in the good times and bad you are on your throne you are God alone 
You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You are God. God alone, you are God alone, from before time began, you were on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. times and bad you are on your throne you are God alone and Father in the midst of the hard moments in the midst of the real moments in the midst of the raw moments Father you are on your throne I need that reminder we need that reminder and Father I pray that um you would remind us today through your word, through um, whatever Shane uh, wishes to share as uh, your spirit guides us. And I pray that our hearts would be ever open, ever hearing to um, what it is that you have to say. And know in the end, your enthronement, raising up, being raised upon the cross, was the greatest victory for the church and the greatest victory for us against the powers of darkness. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Kids going to nursery, you guys are dismissed. Uh, trying to figure out which ones are going. I'll go. Looking forward to uh, the text this morning. As I started, uh, I was looking at the text, and I thought, wow, you know, what are we possibly going to preach on? And uh, so I came in on, on Monday, and I started working on that, and 
um, I thought I saw God doing something and in the process, and I was amazed by uh, the, the, the characters in our text this week, and that's where, where we're going to look. And uh, some of you know, on, on uh, Tuesday morning, we came in and we found a broken water line in the youth room, and so we have a little flood down there, and, and I was coming in prepared to preach, uh, or to get ready to preach, and I spent the whole day, part most of the day, uh, the rest of the team spent the whole day down there, but um, I was down vacuuming up water, and, and we had several guys come in, and, and we cleaned up the whole mess, and it was awesome, because the, the guys all showed up, we had this phenomenal, uh, uh, you know, five or six guys came that morning and, and saved my life and, um, and the church. The interesting part was in the middle of that, my opening segment of my um, Bible time that morning in my in my personal reading, uh, I was reading about Joseph when he's telling his brothers how what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So it was actually God who sent me to Egypt. And I'm like, man, that's such a great text for re- remembering the sovereignty of God. And I come into the church and there's no heat and there's no water. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I have to get ready for a sermon. I don't got time for this. I didn't have time for it, um, but somehow we're still we're still here, and Sunday still comes, and um, I, I, I'm I'm excited, but deeply convicted this week again uh, in the text. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced uh, faithfulness uh, from unexpected places, uh, in in recognizing faithfulness in unexpected places. Uh, but it would be I was trying to think of an illustration that would be like, um, and it would be like. In my mind, it's like something like this. Uh, if you walked into your into your bedroom and you flipped on the light switch and the light came on, would you be would you be amazed by that? Be like, oh, praise the Lord. No, no, not anymore. In our house up in Enius Valley, up in the cabin, we were amazed if the lights came on. But that was a whole different. That was a different story. Uh, but there are moments if you were to walk into your bedroom and, and you were to walk up to the wall and touch the wall and the light came on, that would shock you a little bit, wouldn't it? Well, hopefully not. But you'd <laughs> you'd be like, "Wow, that's pretty amazing." Sometimes I think in our Christian walk, we look at things that, that way. Um, many people think that because I'm a pastor, I, I'm gonna, I should respond more faithfully, or it, it should be just non, non-surprising when I respond well to life circumstances, right? You guys, have, you guys think that, right? It shocks you when I tell you that I don't always respond well to life. You guys are like, oh, how can that be? But there's times in lives where we look at one another and we watch, we watch the people around us and there's certain people we think, well, they should respond that way because of, for whatever reason, or, or maybe, you know, we don't expect these people to respond in faithfulness. And I think we're going to see a beautiful picture of that today in the text. And um, what I'm hoping is that what God convicted me of and the challenges that I faced this week in, in wrestling with this text will communicate well into your lives um, as it has into mine. And uh, my hope is that you end with the same hope that I have found this week in the midst of the challenges and the struggles. Um, and the worst part is that the greatest challenge has been my own attitude. Doesn't that, didn't that the worst? You know, if it was just the fact that the basement was flooding with water, and that's what 
I, I wrestled with all week as being an added, that would be awesome if it was just a physical thing. But when you begin to look at the Word of God, it doesn't leave you just at what the physical stuff is. He goes in and he starts evaluating your heart and your attitudes. And, and then the moments that you, you choose to sin instead of choosing uh, to live in the newness of life that we've been given. So with that, let's jump into Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. Mark chapter 15, verse 42, says this. When it was already evening because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was, with, uh, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went into Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked, um, asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. And he bought some fine linen. He took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. For Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he, placed, uh, where he was placed. Uh, the first thing that we see in this is this the character Joseph, right? How many of you expected it to be a disciple? One of his 12, right? I mean, you would think one of his 12, maybe John, the one that, that we read in the text where he says the one that he loved, who John was the one that seemed to be hanging out there the longest. What about Peter? Where's Peter? The rock, right? We don't see them in this story. We see Joseph of Arimathea. It, it, the, the crazy part is, where have we heard of Joseph of Arimathea before this moment? Nowhere. Where he's in a prominent role, and he, and he steps up, and Mark begins to share this with us. So one of the things that we learn from Mark, and we'll see more, because there's more about Joseph of Arimathea. He, he does have, uh, I think he's been more prominent in, that, in their relationship with the disciples than what we have maybe seen in Mark, and we're going to look at more about him in just a moment. But we see that he's a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. He's in a prominent role in, in the Jewish uh, world, and he is looking forward to the coming to the kingdom of God. He's looking forward to this. He's believing what Jesus is saying, and he's looking forward to the arrival of the kingdom. Honestly, I thought that's where we we're going to stay today, and we're going to focus on the kingdom of God, and we're not. And partly because we're, we're going to look at it just a little bit, but partly because of what happens um, as I began to go through that process uh, in, in where we're going to land today. But isn't it interesting that the two things that we know about Joseph is that he is prom a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, and he boldly approaches Pilate and asks for his body. So what does he do when he's approaching Pilate? What is he doing? He's putting his reputation on the line, right? He's risking his life. They just killed Jesus. The, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they just killed Jesus. And so here comes Joseph, and he's putting himself out there to take the body of Jesus and to deal with the burial process uh, and, and, and to actually care for him and in his death and burial. We're going to look a little bit more at Joseph here in just a minute. The second thing that we see, though, is that Pilate, he grants the request, but he's a little bit shocked, right? Pilate goes, what, he's dead already? And who does he call? It says that he calls the centurion. 
Remember in Mark, just before this, we actually saw the centurion saying at the end of the last passage, he says, surely this was the Son of God? That's the centurion that's being called in to confirm the death of Jesus. And, and Pilate's saying that's not normal for them to have died so quickly. There's something that's not right, what's going on. And he calls in the centurion, and he confirms his death. And at that point, Pilate releases the body to Joseph, and he goes and takes care of Jesus, buys the fine linen, wraps him, and places him in a tomb. Now, the amazing part about this is it, it, what I love about this process. Uh, we've looked at fulfilled prophecy up to this point as Jesus' death has been, as we've been building into this process for Jesus' death, and we've been looking at different passages in the Old Testament, and we're going to continue to do that for a little bit this morning because in the process of Jesus' burial, we actually see more prophecy fulfilled, which I find absolutely amazing. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9 says this. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had, no, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The, the very first thing that we see it, with Joseph coming forward, you have to actually learn a little bit more about Joseph to understand how that prophecy is fulfilled, but we see that explained in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 61 says this, And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So here we have the rich man, the prophecy of Isaiah 53 being fulfilled in Joseph of Arimathea. And isn't it amazing? He actually is giving him his own tomb. But I love the fact that in Matthew, he's identified as a disciple of Jesus. He's one of the men that have been following and listening and believing in what Jesus has been sharing. He's, he's accepting the testimony of the Messiah, and he's following him, and he's, labeled, he's listed as a disciple. By Matthew, which again, we don't see him listed in any of the, the listing of the disciples, the prominent disciples, which are the ones that, that again, in our system, in my thinking, I would, I would think to myself, where are they? And I love the, the second part of that that's fulfilled in this moment. It's in Psalm 38. Psalm 38, verse 11, actually speaks to I believe it speaks to Mary uh, being in this, in this moment with him uh, and, and the specifics of where, where they say she's at in Mark. Psalm 38, verse 11. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stands far off. Now, one of the things uh, I re you realize is that, you know, King David, we've seen this in other spots where he's actually experiencing these kind of painful things in his life. He's experiencing this stuff, and yet we also know that 
there are moments where the Holy Spirit uses those experiences in his life to, to put a picture forward of what is coming for Christ. So here we have Joseph the rich man burying Christ, which we see prophesied in Isaiah 53, called the disciple. We have the women who are standing at a distance who are watching this. And, and it was at this moment as I'm, as I'm watching, walking through this that this question began to resonate in my heart, in my head. And I, I began to ask the question, who is being the disciple in this moment? And, and when you think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be part of this process, um, I came up with, a, with two different groups, and we're going to look at them here in just a minute. But I began to wrestle with that and, go, and, and think through the women that we see in this text, because they're present. The women are there, and, and here's Joseph. And so the first group of people that I think are being a disciple, and I want to look at some of their, what they're doing in this moment, is Joseph and, and these women, Mary and, and, and Salome, and the women that are listed in Mark. But it's amazing to me that what Mark points out is that here Joseph is, he's anticipating the kingdom of God. He's looking forward to this. And, and so this this faithfulness of his disciples. He's actually believing his word. He's believing what he said. Now, isn't that an interesting thing for us to think about for us in, for just a minute? If we claim to be disciples, we'd believe his word, right? Okay, so just take for a second. I don't, please don't raise your hands. But just take for a second and think in your own heads, what text, what scripture is it that you've read that you're not doing, that, that we're not accepting? I have mine. Oh, no, we're not raising our hands. I, I can, I, I've seen it this week as I've been wrestling with this question going, man, Lord, I know you say this. In fact, there's probably more than one. I know that this is who you are. I know that this is your character. I know that this is what you would have me to do in these moments. And I've watched myself choose the opposite of that. What does it mean to be a disciple? You know, the easiest one that's the hardest to do, it's the easiest one to pick on, and I think it's one of the hard ones to do, is that we love one another like Christ loved us, right? Now, that's easy for some of us in certain settings. Like on Sunday morning, we all look and act like Jesus. It's great. Why are you guys laughing? On Sunday morning, we do pretty good. But you catch us at another time. Catch us in another situation. We joke about, you know, catching one another of us on the, on the freeway, maybe being distracted or doing something goofy. But find us in a bad moment, and do we look like Jesus? Do we love like Jesus? Wound me or offend me. Why are we offended, sweet? We need to get rid of that word. We as Christians shouldn't be offendable. Jesus took our sins and died on the cross. We really don't have much to be offended about. But man, you get one of us wounded or offended and watch what happens. Suddenly we're not very lovable or we don't do a good job loving. But didn't Jesus tell us to do that? Yes. I know that one's a hard one. For you kids, the Word of God says you're to submit to your parents. <laughs> Man, especially as young, especially as they grow up and they become teens, that gets harder and harder, doesn't it? Wow. 
There's all kinds of scripture, you guys, that we have that we read. And the question that, we, that I've been wrestling with this week is, who's being the disciple? Who is it that's following the word of God? Look at, look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And I believe that what I love about this is somewhere in here, Joseph uh, got connected to this. Chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus starts off this way. Uh, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. It's it's where he engaged his disciples and, and Joseph believed it and followed it. And here at this moment, he shows up faithfully, still following Christ, and boldly acts in a moment where it's risky and dangerous and, and probably uh, was, was not a, not a well-advised move politically for his financial situation or his position on the Sanhedrin. All of those things are at risk because of this move. And I think sometimes even when I'm looking at just dealing with attitude stuff. Um, I had to apologize to my bride the other day because of how I was driving. I know, it's a surprise to all of you, isn't it? But I realized at a moment that I was, I was so focused on my, the, my attitude that I was really putting her in, in a in dangerous and in an uncomfortable spot because of my anger. Why? What did it accomplish? Who am I helping? Who am I honoring at that moment? None of you were there, don't worry. At least I hope it wasn't you in the truck in front of me. (laughs) That would be horrible. Anybody driving to Rathroom about three days ago? Okay. Man, do you believe the gospel? Do you really believe what I, I think that part of what we're wrestling with, what I've been wrestling with this week is that that conviction of identifying what Paul talks about in Romans seven, and we're gonna we're gonna end kind of there, but he talks about this battle that's going on in our hearts and how it wages war against us, and and there's I mean in the end of seven he says, oh this wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? And I've been wrestling with that and, and contending with that in my own heart and, and seeing and, and, and experiencing, I think, the conviction of the Spirit going, this doesn't honor me. This isn't what I called you to. Now, the beauty is that's the gift of God, right? Brothers and sisters, conviction from the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Lord. It means that he's present in our lives and he says, I do that for my kids that I love. That's a gift from God. Young people, when your parents discipline you, it's a gift from God. It is absolutely a gift from God. It's what he's designed that relationship to be so that we would grow and become better adults from our parents to, to our, uh, from children to parents. And it's what he's done for us to grow to be better disciples. It's his gift. And so when we see those things, it should cause us to fall on our face and it should cause us to repent. Those things are true. But we should also see it as a gift from the Lord. 
So when you think about who's being a disciple, who's following Jesus, we definitely see Joseph, but we also have to see the women that are involved in this because they're mentioned several times here in this particular passage. In fact, we've got to back up just a little bit to Mark chapter 15. Alan talked about it and I read it. Both of us read through this passage in the last couple of weeks, but we really neither of us really dealt with this process of the women being present at this. And I think partly because it actually is a sandwich process um, where, where Mark is tying a couple of things together. And we're going to look at that for just a moment right now. Mark chapter 15, verse 40. This was right after the centurion says, Truly this man was the Son of God. Verse 40 starts off, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and the younger of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Okay. It's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't mention all the men that were around? I mean, we don't even see Joseph of Arimathea mentioned in this, in this moment. But here Mark is, is letting the readers know that there's these faithful women who have been following and ministering and caring for Jesus all along the way. Now, we have to remember the culture at that time, right? Um, I, the story that always drives me nuts is the woman caught in adultery. She's brought in, and the law says that she was to be stoned. Where's the guy? Hello? There's a problem with the math here. Somebody else was sinning as well. So you can see from the culture that women didn't have the position. They were, they were I think, at times seen more as property. And I want to be careful I wasn't there. But here these gals are following Jesus around and ministering to him and caring for his needs. And Mark points that out, the faithfulness of these disciples. You know, it's so funny because one of the first things that comes to mind and you start thinking about is, well, yeah, but they were sitting, they were sitting a ways off. Anybody, anybody go there? Only a few of us do. Some of us people that, that I think when we look at this story, we're like, well, does that really count? Because I was there. If I was there, I'd have been running with everybody else. The faithfulness of these women that served Jesus and followed and cared for him. Do we see faithfulness to Christ as being part of a disciple? Or do we see faith as just the, the, the means that gets us into heaven? Is it, just, is it just part of what stamps our ticket? Or is it part of the walk of a disciple that is faithfully following Jesus, that's faithfully devoted to being in his word, being part of his family. You know, it was interesting, I was talking to uh, a few of you this morning, just talking about the, the, the family life of the church and how we have some people who are, who are actually, they're struggling with not being present because they miss the body life, they miss the people. And one of the things that I've been hearing from other pastors, and, and we see it here even, that people are more comfortable sitting at home and, and there's, a, there's a small group of people that have kind of went, well, do I really even need to come back to church? I mean, I can just stay at home and watch it from there. Just so you guys know, if you're watching it from home, after the video goes off, we're going to do something cool. <laughs> and you don't get to know about it unless you're here. 
So that's gonna, maybe we'll start a new thing. After, after we turn off the video, we'll do something cool. Unlike everything else we do. I don't know how that works, but still. The point is, isn't it amazing that the faithfulness of these women, Mark is pointing out something about what they're doing, something about their service to Christ that's spectacular. It's not marginal here. At the burial of Jesus, when all of the disciples have disappeared, when all of them are not present, the women are mentioned, these faithful few that are following Jesus and are still there, and I believe it's dangerous for them to be there as well. When we think about who's being a disciple, are we faithful in our relationship with the Lord? And when you think about faithfulness, right, you, you think about marriage and remaining faithful in your marriage. And what is it that, re- that, that, that results in faithfulness in our relationship with the Lord? Is it church attendance? I don't know. I mean, it, there's, there's something really good about being here. But I got to tell you, I know people that have attended church most of their life and they don't know the Lord. I know people that have, that have faithfully been to church for their, whole, their lives and they have no relationship with Jesus. They, don't, they have no ability to trust or, or, or faith in him uh, in, in the difficulties of their life. They're, they're good religious people. In fact, we'll, we'll see some of them here in just a minute. That's the next group we're going to look at, the chief priests. Man, they showed up all the time. So I think faithfulness, it's more than just attendance. It's more than just checking a box. Is faithfulness... Reading the word or memorizing the word. Well, yeah. But isn't it interesting? The chief priests knew it really well. But they were missing something. Let's look at the chief priests. They're a special group. Don't you guys love those guys? You know what's the problem? <laughs> I think sometimes we look at them just like we do the bad guys in a movie. You know how you know how there's just certain bad guys in movies that are just you just love to not like them. Have you guys ever noticed that they they cast these poor guys and they end up being bad guys for almost their whole their whole career because they're just good bad guys. I don't know if you read scripture, but I, I want to caution you to be really careful that we don't read scripture like a Hollywood script. Um, because as much as the chief priests are kind of bad guys. Um, I'm always convicted by the fact that they're good religious people. And that scares me a little bit. Because they had the word down. They had the religious practice down. But they missed the relationship with Jesus. And I think what scares me a little bit is how easy it would be for us as a Christian church to do the same thing. We could have all the right things down. We could have the language. We could have the service. We could have the scripture. But we could miss a relationship with Jesus. And we could think that we're being disciples when we're rejecting the word of God in its very basic form. So let's be careful not to, not to just tag him as bad guys. But let's take a minute and really wrestle within our own hearts to say, God, is, is, it, is there any chance that I'm religious like this? You're going to love this part. This is one of my favorite parts in, in what, the, what the chief priests and the Pharisees do. Um, and I think you'll see it here in just a minute. Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. It says this, The next day, 
That is, after the day of preparation, which is the Sabbath. And just for, just for perspective, remember, they couldn't go and see Pilate during the day of preparation before, or before that because they didn't want to defile themselves so that they could take the Sabbath. Just, just, so just keep that in mind. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So, the chief priests actually heard what Jesus said, and they knew exactly what he said. When he said that the only sign you will get is the sign of Jonah, they knew exactly what he meant. There was no question about it. They heard the stuff that he was teaching, and they recognized it, but they rejected it. And isn't it interesting that now they're having to try and cover up their sin? Have you guys ever found that? You sin just a little bit, and then all of a sudden, God's graciously goes, uh, hey. Um, and you're like, whoosh, whoosh. nope, we got to cover, hey, cover this up. The younger I was, the more I did, I think, as I'm getting older. I'm beginning to realize how incredibly dangerous that is, how, uh, how I want to say unproductive, but that just sounds too logical. It, 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 it breaks my relationship with the Lord, and it actually causes all kinds of heartache and difficulty when you start covering up sin. But here the chief priests are having the word of God, having all that truth, and they're covering stuff up, even to the point that they're going to go before Pilate now on the Sabbath. Are they doing work? I would say, yeah, they're taking care of business of the church or the, of, the, of the temple, right? They're trying to get rid of this, what, what they call him, imposter. So here they are in their religiousness going to Pilate to try and cover up what they know Jesus promised, what they know Jesus said was going to happen. Who's being the disciple? Knowing the word of God, having good religious practices, but covering up sin. Now, if we're really honest, you guys, that would probably describe many of us at different points in our lives, wouldn't it? I don't like to talk about that, though. It'd be easier just to have a good religious service. Probably, I'd probably be a lot more popular. I just taught your best life now kind of stuff. Like, really, you're great people. Yay. So that's what I was wrestling with this week. We haven't even talked about the disciples yet, have we? 
Where were they? Where were the, where were the 11 that were left? Where were, the, where were the big names? The superheroes. The guys that wrote a bunch of the scripture for us to follow in the New Testament. Where are they? They're hiding. And Paul, who's one of the prominent guys, he's learning how to be a good Pharisee. <laughs> so who's being the disciple this morning? In our text. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes when we look at this, we begin to realize that, that God was really serious when he said that he, choose, he delights in using the weak and foolish things of the world, that his wisdom is foolish to, foolishness to man. But what I love about the gospel, and it's something that I've been wrestling with in my own heart, it's something I've been trying to put my head around uh, that, so that it would actually affect my heart, not just my head. But it's what the gospel does. And I think part of what I'm noticing is that I'm, I'm a competitive guy. Are any of you guys competitive? Yep. I'm competitive. And so, um, like, if, if, I, if I'm trying to do something, even though I may act like I'm being very humble. I'm always trying to do a, a, a good job. In fact, you guys know I, I go and hang out at Jacob Tritt's shop, and I work on uh, stuff over there. Sometimes I get to touch the, the nice stuff because um, he's crazy enough to let me do it. <laughs> and, uh, but I love it, and I love doing that stuff. And so he gave me a piece of metal to weld onto uh, one of his tools the other day, and I got to do it. And two out of the three welds were decent. Like they, they looked pretty decent. I had a little, I had pretty good heat. I had two spots. I could see I got, I got it a little hot. You could see it in the metal where I, I didn't have, you know, my movement. So I'm critiquing myself. And this one spot has this little metal dimple on it. And I'm like, I should fix that. And Jake comes over and goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. Now you need to understand something. Jake, the work that he does, like he doesn't ever have mistakes like that. His stuff is, is, is really, really good. And in my head, I'm thinking, I could fix that. Like, I want it to look as good as his stuff. And that's what I'm going through in my head because I'm super competitive. I like to be good at what I'm doing, uh, which is some of the irony of, uh, you know, of being in ministry and, and, and letting God do what, he's, what he, he's called each of us to do in our own spots. How many of you guys feel like God has you serving where you're the strongest? How many of you guys feel like there's times where you're serving out of weakness, out, out, of, out of foolishness? You're like, Lord, I don't know what to do right now, but you put this person in front of me. What am I supposed to do with that? I think God delights in those moments. But look at what Romans chapter 8 says. We got to look at this because Romans chapter 7, it, it describes the cry of our heart, right? O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That, that's, that's the cry of, of Paul's heart after he describes this, this moment where he, he does what he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do what he knows he's, he's supposed to do, and there's this battle going on in his heart between his flesh and what he knows he's supposed to be doing and the, the, the leading of the Spirit. And so he acknowledges all of this, cries out to the Lord, says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in chapter 8, he begins this beautiful picture of the power of the gospel. Look at what it says, chapter 8, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You guys hear that? Some of us in this room, even this morning, we need to do some work just on that verse. Because there's some of us in this room that actually don't believe that about the gospel. We actually think that the sin that we're struggling with is somehow excluded from this text. Maybe it's because we've done it again. Or maybe it's because it's been again and again and again. Maybe it's because uh, uh, we think that we're the only ones that have this issue. Maybe it's because we think we're in a position of power or prominence, or if somebody found out about it, you know, my friends at church wouldn't even like me anymore. That's the hardest part about telling you guys some of the things that I wrestle with. Surprised you come back some Sundays. But do you see what the text is saying? Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit of life is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you see that? If we have, if we are in Christ, we have the Spirit dwelling in us, and we are given life and not death. Our freedom from condemnation comes because of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. So when we're convicted by sin, we recognize that's the Spirit saying, hey, this doesn't line up with who you are. This doesn't line up with your Father's identity that you have. You are now in Christ. Isn't it interesting and qualifies this? That if you're not in Christ, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Him. I would encourage you, if you're not convicted by sin in your life, if you don't see any issues that need to be worked on, to maybe ask the Lord if the Spirit's in there. If you've perfected your life and you have no sin, please write a book. Because we're all very curious. I struggle with the 
with some of our songs that at times, and, and we sang a song, and, and I enjoy the song, but every now and then I struggle with the, some of the lingo in there where it talks about us needing more of the Spirit. Come and fill us. Bring us your power. Because did you see what this book says, what, what it says in Romans? If, he's, if we're in Christ, then he's in us. And, and who was the Spirit that was in us? The one that raised Christ from the dead. That's, that's a lot of power. I don't think you've got the, uh, the, the Walmart brand battery in this one. Whichever, I don't know what a cheap knockoff battery is. I only buy the good ones. That's, I'm joking. The joke box. We learned about that at our marriage conference. That's it. I guess that turns out to be my second favorite box to be in. So, because I'm from fun country. Um, but we have the Spirit. If we're in Christ and He's indwelling us, we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you and me that's giving our mortal bodies life. What's interesting about this, you guys, is it doesn't say that it's going to free me from the sinful battle of the flesh that, that Paul talks about in Romans 7. But it does say that it gives us the power, it gives us the opportunity to put our minds on the things of the Spirit, to focus on those things, and to respond, I think, to the Spirit of God, and to be discipled by following and, and, and exercising faithfulness. The beauty of this, and we're going to see this as, our, as the text unfolds, is that the disciples do respond. And these young men who are running for their lives right now end up giving their lives in faithfulness as they're martyred for Christ, because God turns that their whole life around. And the Spirit indwells them, and they go from being men who are cowards and fearful to being men of great courage and faith. And you and I, as children of God, have the same Spirit indwelling us. So what does it mean for you to be a disciple? Joseph acts boldly. The women are faithful. The religious are arrogant and prideful. And the disciples that he called are scared. I think the thing that drives me the most nuts is that I see in the text where I'm wrong in some of my behavior, in my attitudes. And I desperately don't want those to be present. I was talking to the Lord about it this week. Want to just take this away. And I wonder if some of that wasn't what Paul was doing. Would you just take this away? It would be much easier for me to serve you. In my opinion, I'd be a much better Christian without these struggles. You know, I think God agrees with me. He's just got a process that's different than mine. Right? Because he promises that that stuff's going to be gone. He's going to make us the way he's, he's designed us. He's going to finish what he started in us. So when we see the conviction of the Spirit, when we recognize that, that we're not following the Word of God, I think our response should be to repent. It should be to go to God and say, you're right. I'm not following you. But I really want to encourage you that our, our posture before a holy God, as much as it, it, as it is uh, uh, that we're on our face before him, we also are his children that he's given his spirit to, 
And so we, we don't just fall down and, and, and I think lay on the ground in, in defeat. We're supposed to turn our eyes back to him and continue to follow, continue to live faithfully, continue to trust, open his word, and, and read it. That's a great idea. You should try it. It's awesome. I'm going to try it. And then believe what you read. I would encourage you, if you're not sure where you're at with your faith with the Lord this week, read Romans 8, chapter 1, or Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Read it that a couple times. What does it mean that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ? How do you deal with that? Wow. That means that the wreck that I was at different points in this week with a bad attitude because I felt like my life was out of control, I can go to the Lord and say, God, you're right, I wasn't trusting you, and I can, I can go forward. I can actually tell other people about it. Isn't that crazy? Okay, who wants to volunteer to tell everybody next week how God's been challenging in your wreck of a life? I'm looking for volunteers. No? <laughs> Come on, it's not that bad. You guys, my, my heart this week as I was wrestling with this, I, I, part of me really didn't want to preach this. Um, part, partly because I thought, I'm tired of, of having to acknowledge that I'm wrestling with a heart attitude. But the other side of me that was so encouraged this week was, was wrestling with what the gospel says I am. Who Christ says I am in, in, in him. And there's hope in this. There's joy to be had as a believer when we begin to see who God is and how he's dealt with you and with me. And we should look like it. Seriously, some of you guys could use a joke box. We should, we, this should change how we live when we realize there's no condemnation in our life because of what Christ did on the cross. I'm not saying that we're going to just go out and sin. Paul deals with that in Romans. He's like, no, that's not the point. You don't go do that. We follow, we turn, we, 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 we desire to live in obedience and in relationship with him because of what we've seen him do, because of the testimony of these disciples that went ahead of us. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking the question even today. Am I really a disciple? Am I following? Am I, do I, am I faithful? Do I believe what he says? Probably one of the most important things is, have you confessed any sin recently? I love 1 John 1, 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious truth. A loving father that convicts us of our sin and then says, and by the way, I've paid for it. Now trust me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the work that you did through Christ on the cross. I 
am in awe of your forgiveness, of your grace, of your mercy. Father, this week was, it was painful and joyful all at the same time. Because in your grace, you exposed sin in my heart, bad attitudes, things that, even stuff that I was doing where I was, I was harming my bride in pride and arrogance. Oh, wretched man that I am. Praise be to God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great truth that is that Paul shares. Lord, help, us, help that to be the cry of our hearts this week. Praise be to God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this week as we consider what it means that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, help us to recognize what you have called us to do in being faithful. Help us to recognize, uh, Lord, that it's your power. It's not ours. We, we, we don't. We don't make a better discipleship grade by behavior modification. It's by a surrendered heart. Which the irony is, you know this, God, that changes my behavior too. So somehow it works together, but Father, my, my tendency is I can clean stuff up and make it look good for a while. I always felt like I was a good Christian actor. But I know you want our hearts. And I know that's what you're doing. So God, we want to celebrate and praise you for your, for your conviction of our sin. We want to celebrate and praise you for your forgiveness of our sin. And Father, I want to celebrate and praise you for the fact that you empower your children to walk with our minds focused on the spiritual things so that we become faithful and able to be your disciples here in the physical things. Thank you for doing that work, Lord Jesus, because I can't do it on my own. So we thank you and praise you this morning and give you all the glory for all the good that happens. For every change that comes in my life, Lord, I know it's because of you. And I give you the praise and the glory for all of those things in your name. Amen. Won't you join us as we sing and finish out this service with amazing grace? Grace that taught
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God, who called me here below, will be forever ours in this moment and for reminding us of your salvation, Father, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin, it is defeated by your blood, and we can shout that to the heavens every day that we wake up and every moment that we, that we slip and be reminded of Romans, of John, of even 1 John 1, 9, that says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. A-L-L, all of it. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a good week.